Well, we're back in Psalm 119 again this Sunday. Last Sunday, I gave a little overview, and I'll give that again because we have some people that weren't here. Um, Psalm 119 is the longest verse in the Bible. It's 176 verses long, and it's an acrostic poem. Now, we look at it in English, and we don't see that. But if we looked at it in Hebrew, the original language, we would see that each one of these sets of eight verses that have the Hebrew letter, like Alep, Bet, Gemel, okay, now today we're going to do Deled, He, and Vav, or Wav, we see those letters written above there and we go, what's that all about? Well, if we looked at it in the original language, each one of those eight lines that followed that letter would actually start with that letter. The Hebrew kids back in this Bible time, were tasked, and, and in fact, in later Bible times too, were tasked with memorizing this chapter. or Not the chapter, but this verse. And, and what they would, uh, yeah, actually chapters, right? The, uh, they would be tasked with memorizing that. And we look at it today and we go, that's 176 verses, that's so much memorization. But it really isn't, if you think about it, in the original language. It's an acrostic poem. We see the numbers and, and all the rest of that stuff in there. That was added later. They wouldn't have learned it that way. They wouldn't, they wouldn't see it that way. They would see eight lines that all started with the same letter. The next eight lines that started with the next letter. And, and all the way through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it wouldn't have been incredibly too difficult or more difficult for them to learn it. So we're going to cover verse 25 through 48 today. I'm going to go ahead and read it and then we're going to dig in. So let's start with Psalm 119, verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told my ways and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the faults way from me and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread. For your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. May your loving kindness come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. For I trust in your word. And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For I wait for your ordinances. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. 
And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts this morning to a, just, a, just an awesome understanding of your word. Help us to have just a, an incredible relationship with you. Incline our hearts to you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my soul cleaves to the dust. I think about Valley Center. I really do. My soul cleaves to the dust. We've all been outside on a hot summer day working. And Valley Center is a dusty place. Valley Center is a dusty place. And you know what it's like when you've been working outside. You get a little sweaty and the wind picks up the dust a little bit. And the next thing you know, you're covered in dust. You can taste it in your mouth. The dust that he's talking about here is our world. My soul cleaves to the world. Revive me, it says, according to your word. That, that the world, the sticky things in our world, it sticks to us. Even though sometimes we don't want it to. I think of the events of midnight, Thursday night in Aurora, Colorado. The things to the world stick to us. People went to the movies. And someone who had a careless regard for human life ended the life of 12 people. It was sad. And I pray for the families of those 12 people, but I pray for the other 49 people who were injured. And I really, really pray for the policemen and the emergency workers and the emergency room people, the doctors and nurses that have to, that have to put their emotions aside during that moment and aren't allowed to weep until later, aren't allowed to, aren't allowed to emote basically until later. The policeman that was on the news um, after they went into the young man's apartment, they finally got in after they cleared all the booby traps. He said, yeah, we're angry. We're angry because this young man set up his house so that, and he knew that the first person through the, the next person through his front door would have been a policeman. And he booby trapped it to kill that policeman. Such a careless regard for human life. The world sticks to us. This psalm writer, my my soul cleaves to the dust, clings to the dust, like the dust clings to us. We try to, we try, we sit in here on Sunday morning and we try to put the world outside there for at least an hour or so. Get away from it. And, and cling to one another as a community, as a Christian community. It says, revive me according to your word. We cling to God's word for that revival. He asked for a revival since he was laid low, depressed or distressed by the world. He then asked God for understanding, strength and keeping. And when God gave him understanding, he said he would comply because he treasured the law. The tendency today is to be pulled downward. Be pulled downward by the world. Everything pulls us down. TV, 
which could be a marvelous instrument to be used for God, does nothing but pull us down. You look at the exposure of all the stuff that's on TV. I don't know, like my house, we get like a hundred and some odd channels. There might be two that have any kind of Christian programming at all on them. Out of all of that, the rest of them are just regular channels. Violence, sex, do anything you want to do. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. It does nothing but pull us down. Everything in our world is geared that way. My soul cleaves to the dust. We gravitate in that direction. We gravitate towards the dirt. Not only will our body fall downward, and believe me, let me tell you something. When you're a 20-year-old, you're not thinking about your body. Those of us that are a little older now think, wow, if I'd have done that when I was 20, you know, when you're 20, you stay up all night, take get a couple hours sleep, and then get up and do it all again. We don't think about what our body's going to feel like when we're 40 or 50 or 60. Until when you're 40, you roll out of bed that morning and you go, oh. And you went, oh, man, I sound like my dad. I remember that morning. It's like you could circle it on the calendar. Remember that day. It's because your body hasn't recovered. Even from a full night's sleep now. I tell my kids when I'm I'm teaching, you know, during the school year, on school nights I go to bed at 9 o'clock. Mr. Houston, you're over 50. You go to bed at 9 o'clock? Yep. Because I need that whole night's sleep. Otherwise, I'm a grump in the morning. And you don't want a grumpy teacher. I'm not my best because I haven't taken care of myself. We gravitate towards the world. Our body falls down. Our soul is pulled downward in the world. How can we overcome that? We overcome that here. We overcome that here in God's word. It says, revive me according to your word. This is another reason that there are that there are all those Bible programs out there. Go down to Family Christian Store down in Escondido. One year program, one year through the Bible, three years through the Bible, five years through the Bible, whatever. If you can stay in the word of God, it can keep you farther away from sinning. Now, we're going to make mistakes. But if you're really focused on the word and really focused on getting into it, it's going to get you out of a lot of it. Maybe not all. The world, the word will revive us and lift us up. Verse 26, I've told of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Again, in 27, it says, make me understand the way of your precepts. So I will meditate on your wonders. Again, through these 24 verses, we hear all the different ways that this psalm writer is talking about God's word. Your testimonies, your precepts, your commands. Help make me understand the way of your precepts. 
Teach me your statutes. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I always tell my kids in Bible class, says, God knows what you want and what you need before you ask him. He searches your heart. You know why he searches here? Because this thing is a liar. This thing isn't. God looks into here and listens to this to make sure that the connection's right. Are we really saying what our heart really means? Is our heart in the right place so that when we make that petition to God in prayer, that God really wants to hear it? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what comes out of your mouth is indicative of what's going on in your heart. It indicates what's going on in there. Is your heart a mess? Is your heart a mess? You stub your toe. What's the first thing that comes out of your mind? Is it, ouch, that hurts, please God, you know, heal it quickly? Or is it some swear word? Somebody breaks your heart. Somebody hurts your feelings. Those things that, those things that are in our heart are really a good indication of just where we're inclined. Do you ever feel like the words of your speech are trivial or trite? Are they stale or tired? It says, if we understand God's precepts and spend time in His Word, we will inevitably talk of His work, which is a substantial topic. God's not just, you know, didn't just set creation into being back at the beginning of time and, and just stand back and watch it. He's at work all the time. God's work is substantial. Each of us has that little bit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. When we accept Christ, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In here, our heart. Where is your heart inclined? I think it's exciting to know that God knows how many hairs are on my head. That's exciting. There was a time when I was in seminary that I thought, well, you know, maybe God isn't interested in all the little trivial things in our lives. And that went away quickly. When I thought about, well, he knows how many sands are on the beach. You ever tried counting the sand in your hand sometime? And God knows how many grains of sand are on the beach. He knows how many hairs are on your head. If you're a blonde, that's about 100,000 hairs. That's a lot of hair. Some people have more hair than others. It happens. Blondes have more hair than brunettes. It's an interesting thing when you start studying hair. God cares. His work is substantial. We need to have a substantial relationship with Him. And we get that by having our heart inclined to Him, by studying His Word and knowing what His will is. And how do you know that? By studying His Word. Verse 28 says, My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. 
I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I look at that. I've chosen the faithful way and I've put your ordinances before me. In other words, I've put your law before myself. I want to do your way before my way. That is counter to the way it is in this country. Think about somebody else or think about God before I think about myself. Before I think about myself. I took, I was a youth pastor over in Vista. And every summer, um, from the first summer that I was there, and I remember that first summer very vividly, I took a group of kids to the Hopi Indian Reservation out in Flagstaff, Arizona. Keems Canyon or someplace like current. Yeah, Keems Canyon. And we would go out there and we would, that was our base camp. They had a, a boarding school there that we would stay in that was vacant during the summer. And we would go up onto the top of the mesas into the Pueblo villages that were up there. And we would re-roof houses and pour cement for wheelchair ramps and drywall and, 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 and do all kinds of work that for, for older folks that couldn't do the things for themselves. Paint, all kinds of stuff. And I remember that first summer so vividly because I went to the kids and I said, hey, we're signed up. We, we've been accepted to go on a Sierra service project. And it costs 300 bucks. And the kids were going, 300 bucks, 300 bucks, that's a lot of money. I said, well, the church is going to put up 100 for each of you. Really? Yeah. Well, 200 bucks is still a lot of money. Okay. What are we going to do? We're going to go out to Arizona in August. And we're going to work like dogs for a week. Helping other people. Wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, what, Rick, what, Rick. We're going to pay you $200. You're going to take us to Arizona and do construction work for a week. Yeah. Yeah. No, wait a minute. We're going to pay you $200. What do we get out of this? You get to serve others. But wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to pay you $200. Yes. And you're going to love it. Had a young man, part of the VHB, Vista Homeboys. He was a gangbanger. He was in my youth program. Why? Because he needed to be there. Said, hey, I want you to go. Want to know, man? Got a member of the church to sponsor him, the whole 300 bucks. Said, all you need to come up with is some spending money for the trip. Cool, dude. He really didn't take it that serious. The night before we're supposed to leave, calls me on the phone and says, and look, you know, you have to sign up in October for your trip the following July or August. Calls me up the night before. I don't think I'm going to go. Said, you're going. We don't get the money back. And I can't give the space back. It's already, we're supposed to leave tomorrow. I'm coming by your house at 6 o'clock in the morning. You better be ready, packed and ready. Or I'm going to kidnap you. You be ready. There is no, I don't think I'm going to go. But it ain't cool, man. I don't care. You're going. 
Somebody put up the money so you could go. You're going. Okay. I showed up. I was on his door. Six o'clock in the morning with my green minivan. The kids loved the green van. I bought it brand new. It had like 20 miles on it. When I got rid of it like four years later, it had 180,000 miles on it. And all of them were youth miles. The church didn't own a van. I picked him up. We left. We went to Arizona. We got there. We worked like dogs all week long. Re-roofing houses. You ever been on the top of one of those mesas? The wind gets a blowing about 60 miles an hour up there sometimes. You literally, when you're roofing with, we use this rolled roofing stuff. You have to put a nail every three inches because the, the, the wind would just peel it right up. Drywalling inside, mudding, painting, pouring cement for wheelchair ramps. There's about 70 kids per week on this project, about 20 adult counselors. And then they have like 10 staff people that are permanently attached there. Friday night when the week's almost over, you leave normally Saturday right after breakfast. Friday night, they pass around a big candle and a hammer. And whoever's got the handle, hammer and the candle gets to talk. And they have everybody sitting in a circle. The lights are down low. It's after dark. They get to talk. And it goes around. It's very emotional. And here's this gangbanger. Vista homeboy. The, hand, the hammer and the candle. Didn't want to come. He said, I didn't want to come this week. I didn't think it was my place to be here. But I don't want to go home. He said, because I've done some cool things here this week. My life is different. I've never served anybody else before. I've always just cared about me. We had him, we got back and it was, you talk about emotional. I'm, I, you know, I'm glad, the, I'm glad the lights were out because I was just pouring at that point. Here's this kid. He was a rough kid, rough neighborhood kid. And he didn't want to go home. We get him back to Vista. We had a member of our church that was a dermatologist did the lasering off of tattoos. The guy volunteered his services to this kid. We got him out of the gang. He graduated from high school and joined the army. He's still in the army. He's a career guy. He's an amazing young man. He got into service, serving the Lord. And it changed his life. These verses, 25 through 32, talk about the power of the word for revival. The psalmist is in deep distress. He lies flat, crushed, and unable to get up. And he can pray that God will revive him according to the promises of the word. He has laid all the concerns of his life before the Lord. In these verses, he prays for a deeper insight to the word so that he might meditate on the wonderful things in it. When tears begin to weigh him down, he asks God, he asks that God would strengthen him according to the promises of the word. All conduct that is not governed by God's truth is called the way of falsehood. The psalmist has chosen rather to follow 
the way of faithfulness, which is the way of the word. Declarations of God's will are the rule for his life. He prays that God will keep him from disloyalty in granting him fresh instructions from his law. Talked about the example of the I-15. You know, down by Miramar. It's 18 lanes wide. Nine in each direction. I grew up back east in New Jersey. The widest freeway, I think, is the, either the Garden State Parkway or I-95 going through New Jersey. And I think there's four lanes going in each direction. The I-15, nine lanes in each direction. It's one of the widest freeways in the country. And I think about that with no barriers, no lines, and no speed limits. And you could ride anything from a tricycle to a Sherman tank. Whatever direction, whatever speed, whatever you want to do, just, just do it. No rules. We don't thrive in that. That's dangerous. That's chaotic. That would bring death to some. Be exciting to others. It's people that thrive on that sort of thing. But we need the we need the law. We need God's law for our lives. We work well within boundaries. We need those boundaries. It says he cleaves to God's word. He prays that he will not be deprived of the blessings promised to the obedient. Bless you. When his, when his heart is set free from the cramping constraint of trouble, the psalmist will use his liberty for even more energetic service to the Lord. He's set free because he doesn't have to think about the boundaries anymore. He knows where the boundaries are. They're clear to him. And when they're clear to him, then they can just be. The kids are that way in school. They'll push those boundaries, but they know where they are. You really want to mess up a school kid's day? Change the schedule. Change the boundaries. What's different? The worst day of the school month for all the teachers at my school is the last Thursday of the month. Because for every other school day during that month, the kids wear uniforms. Now, I've been to a school where they wear uniforms and to a school where they don't wear uniforms, and I see the merits of both. But the craziest day at our school is the last Thursday of the month when it's called free dress day. They can wear whatever they want as long as it conforms to, to you know, to modesty guidelines. They're like a bunch of cows you let out of the barn on the first day of spring. Holy smokes. They're crazy. They don't know how to act. And some of them come in inappropriately attired. You get young ladies with their skirts that are just a little too short. Or their shorts that are a little too short. Or maybe a little bit of their belly is showing. You get young men who, uh, you know... Their shorts are a little too short or whatever. No sleeves in their shirt. They don't know how to act. You take away the rules and they go crazy. They need those rules. We need those rules. Those rules actually free us to be the best that we can be. We use that liberty of being free within the boundaries 
to do more energetic service to God. Verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. In these verses, 33 through 40, the writer is declaring his loyalty to the word, which he observes with his whole heart. He prays that the Lord would turn away Turn him away from the from covetousness and vanity. Our world is full of that today. How do I look? Do I look right? You know, have I got everything together? In the, in the last service, I talked about my my daughter's shoe collection. How much? You know, I, I can't. I don't even. I, we stopped counting how many pairs of shoes she has. It's just. So far out of control. This writer of this psalm desires God to conform his ordinances to him. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Oh, to follow on with God, running the race with patience, looking unto Jesus. It says, give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. For I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and and not to dishonest gain. Where's your heart at? When somebody hurts you or you hurt yourself or you have an accident, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Is it a scripture verse? Do you have that word hidden away in your heart? So that you think to God or of God when those situations come up. And not only in those bad times. I, I think about you know the disasters that we have in our world. And our world is full of them today. We have hurricanes on the East Coast and the Caribbean. Sometimes out here in the Pacific. They make it to Hawaii and they make it this, uh, you know, the, um, the cyclones that they have in, in the Far East. And they make everything a mess, the Gulf. Or the big fires. Or things like 9-11 that are man-made. Or tornadoes in the Midwest. What happens? The churches fill up. Because our brains know we need something. We need the comfort that only God can give to us. The problem is, like after 9-11, the churches filled up. For a few weeks. Intellectually the people knew that they needed to have God. That the only comfort that they would get would be from, from God. The problem is, is they didn't incline their hearts there. It didn't sink deep enough into their hearts that they made it part of their lives and they fell away. I, I, I think of I think it's 1 Timothy 4, it says, But the Spirit explicitly says in later times that some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who follow, or men who are, uh, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe in and know the truth. It didn't stick. Their brains knew that they needed something 
but their hearts didn't incline towards God and they fell away. We need to have that fervor that these Old Testament folks had for the word. We need to have that for the word and for God. We need to have the same passion that they had today. We need to have it. We need, and if we haven't got it, we need to get it. We need to be on fire, lit up, sold out. Turn my eyes from, the, from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread. For your ordinances are good. I belong, I, or behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. These verses show the power of the word for establishing. He prays, this, the psalmist here prays for a greater knowledge of God's statutes. He pledges to observe what he learns faithfully, wholeheartedly, and joyously. How many people get this thing out and read it joyously? Joyfully, wholeheartedly. You sit there. I, I think of my great-grandmother. I really do. I miss her so much. And she died like in the late 70s. She was amazing. She would sit in her rocking chair with her Bible. King James Version. Not even New King James. King James Version. And, and never open it. And she would rock back and forth. And she could quote you chapter and verse out of that Bible. Because the word was part of her life. And she would sit there all day long, look out the window. She was retired. She would sing hymns to herself. She was just content where she was. She had God and that's all she needed. When I was growing up, we didn't do that in my house. We went to Sunday school on Sunday because my great-grandmother and my grandmother made sure we did. Until we moved away. We moved about 10 miles away. And when I was about 12, that's when cable TV started. And we had something better to do on Sunday morning. So we fell away. We fell into the world. And it was a mess. It was a mess. It says, he asks for vigor to resist the temptations of covetousness and the pursuit of vanity. And then it says, my, my, my uh, commentary says, vanity is all that is false, unreal, and worthless. False, unreal, and worthless. Vanity. He prays that God will perform for him the promises made to those who fear God. He speaks, or as he speaks, the psalmist is experiencing the scorn which he has to bear for his loyalty in God's law. I was one of those guys before I became a Christian. I had young men that were, I was in the Navy for 20 years. I was a senior chief petty officer on a ship. And I had a young man who was a Christian. And I made his life hell because he was a Christian. He would ask me to go to Bible studies during lunchtime. And I would find stuff for him to do just so he couldn't go. That's not something I'm proud of. Now, back then, it was almost like a game. 
There are people that scorn us for being Christians. There are people that, you know, we hear that, and I hear it all the time as a teacher. You go over to the elementary side of the school. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's the biggest lie ever told. You might be, your body can physically heal from a stick or a stone. You may never emotionally heal from a, from a word that's said to you. Your body can heal from a stick or a stone, from a physical injury, from an emotional injury. Some of those can last forever. Since the pronouncements of God are good, therefore we should not suffer for observing them. We need fresh strength. We get that strength from the word of God. I think about the analogy that the Bible is like a tree. I taught about trees. I learned a lot about them when I was teaching elementary school. Taught fourth grade for ten years. And as a teacher, you start doing research as you're working your way through the curriculum. And the one thing I learned, it was so cool... I grew up in New Jersey, like I said, and we lived in this apartment building called the Maples Inn. Well, it was called the Maples Inn for a good reason. In the yard of this place, it was, it was it were eight apartments in a single building. The building was over 100 years old. There was all steps, no elevators or anything like that. And in the yard were these huge maple trees. And we lived on the top floor. And we would look out about two-thirds of the way up the height of these maple trees on the fourth floor. So these maple trees were huge. It would take several people if you clipped your arms together to, to actually get around the trunk of these maple trees. Well, I learned when I became a fourth grade teacher, the top of the tree is, is called the crown. Well, the thing I learned about the crown and the thing I learned about most deciduous trees, deciduous trees are trees that lose their leaves. The thing I learned about most deciduous trees is the root ball is as big as the crown. So when you see a tree and you see that huge crown of leaves up there, you think about how big that root ball is underneath it. And it needs to be that way, doesn't it? Think about balance. Everything in our world is about balance. If that tree didn't have all of those roots down underneath it, it would just topple over. I think about eucalyptus trees. That's what happens to them. They don't have that big root ball under them. Those giant maple trees had huge root systems underneath them. Well, the the analogy that I draw to the Bible is the New Testament is like the trunk and and that crown. And the Old Testament is like that root ball. It's the foundation. It's the thing that holds everything up. It's, It's the story of creation and how we kept bruising our relationship with God and not getting it right. And God comes along and plants Christ. And he becomes the trunk of that tree. And we're all the leaves. What happens, if, what happens to a leaf if it detaches from the trunk? From the branch? It turns brown and it dies. That's us. That's us. 
We turn brown and we die. The psalmist called, verse 41, it says, May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So I shall have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Here the writer calls on God to deliver him through his love and his word. Then he would have an answer for his enemy. He prayed and affirmed that the word would continue to be his pattern for life. He's promising to God. You know what? Of all the things that you have in your life, the one thing that you truly have control over is your word. When you give your word, do you keep it? When you give your word, do you keep it? And if you gave your word to God, do you keep it? He gave his word that God's word would be his continued pattern for life. He delighted in God's commandments and he loved them. A young man was said to have asked C.H. Spurgeon this. How do you defend the Bible? And Spurgeon responded by saying, Son, how do you defend a lion? First, you must let it out of the cage and it will defend itself. If you memorize any scripture this week, I guarantee you that within a a short period of time, somebody's going to come along. The Lord's going to give you a chance to use that memorized scripture. You learn a piece of scripture, you're going to get the chance to use it. Somebody is going to have a question, and you'll have just the right verse. Put that word in your heart. Memorize it. Put it in your mind. Do not... Take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. 43, so I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. True freedom is found in walking on the path of the word. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Does it give you joy? To read the word of God? Do you love the Bible? Oh, I love pizza. Really? You love pizza? Or is it just good? Do you love the Bible? Here's something that's actually substantial. Here's something that's going to affect your future. Eating a pizza will give you temporary relief. This is going to give you eternity. If you don't love God's word, ask him to give you a love for it. I do that now. That wasn't always the case. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. And now we get to that point. So what? So what? First, we need to declare God's words to others. God's word to others. Studying the word of God will cause our hearts to burn within us, like it says in Luke. Right? Luke 24, 32. Were, were not our hearts on fire as he spoke the scriptures to us? When the men on the road to Emmaus were listening to Jesus as he was talking to them. We need to have that word burn inside of us in such a way that we won't be able to keep it to ourselves. How amazing would it be if every person 
Well, I can loosen that challenge a little bit. Every family found one person in their sphere of people who wasn't a Christian and encouraged them to come to church. And they stayed. They heard the word and they stayed. Now, not everybody's going to get that, are they? You might have to tell 10 people to talk to one and get them to stay. What would happen to our churches? They would explode. We should be anxious to share God's message of salvation with those who don't know Christ and to discuss its teachings with fellow Christians. We should be in that Bible study on Wednesday night or on Monday morning. Monday? Monday morning. We should be in that Bible study or some Bible study somewhere. The next thing we need to do is rejoice over God's word. We need to consistently rejoice over the word of God and delight in it. We shouldn't be baptized in lemon juice. We should be happy that God's given us this word. We should rejoice in the word. We must not miss the connection that this psalm writer makes in these verses. The rejoicing and the delighting are connected by meditating on the word. By memorizing the word, as we reflect on what the word of God is and what it does and what it says, we will find rejoicing and delighting to be inescapable. I, I hear that and I think about Paul's life as he as he as he transgressed or not uh, that's the wrong word progressed progressed through his life. We we, we look at the trajectory of Paul's life. And you look at the readings from when he first accepted Christ on the road to Emmaus. Had his encounter to the point where he wrote his last letter. And you see, he sees himself in relation to God as so much less and less and less and less and less. And not because he thinks God's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just because he understands it better. He understands his relationship to God, where he really fits on the scheme of things. We need to reflect on what the word of God is and what it does. And we will find rejoicing and delighting to be inescapable. And finally, lastly, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Or the fact that you're a Christian following God's way. Do not apologize for the way you are or what you believe. Use every opportunity to speak the gospel. Pray for people and pray for their salvation. God loved you enough to die on the cross to forgive your sins. We need to love him at least that much. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful. I pray, Lord, that you will just make it inescapable for us. Incline our hearts to you, Lord. Help us to love you with all that we are. Sell us out for you, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that we can find those people around us that need to hear your word and speak it into their lives. Help us to do so in such a way that it takes root. 
We're farmers. Help us to sow the seeds of salvation. We may not always be able to reap the harvest, but Lord, at least help us to sow the seed. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.